0: Heights to the depths of the sea.
1: And so, verse 15 it says, David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. And what a delightful people this group of people were, no doubt, to have such a gracious king. Remember when he brought in the Ark of the Covenant? He gave everyone a cluster of raisins and, and some food and and gave them a, a thing of wine. And it was a, a very joyous occasion. He didn't have to do that, but he was generous. That was his heart. In credible,
0: uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Who told every bolt where it should go? Today, our scripture says, So David reigned. This chapter of victory, blessing, and prosperity describes the national life of Israel during the reign of David. This is one reason why he is generally regarded as the greatest king or ruler Israel ever had. This is how God wanted to reign in the life of Saul, but Saul resisted the Lord and rejected his spirit. Because David allowed God to subdue him, the nations were subdued before David. David was a great king to his people. He fulfilled what is the fundamental duty of government to administer judgment and justice. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching already in progress.
1: Them nor show them no mercy. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall give your you shall not, excuse me, give your daughter to their son nor your take their daughter for your son, for they will And here's the reason why. Does God have a reason for the things that he does? Yes. Sometimes as a a parent, you have to tell your son or daughter, no, and you can't give them a really good answer. You just got a gut gut feeling and you say no. But why? Well, God tells why. And here's the reason that these people had to be destroyed. In verse 4 of Deuteronomy 7, for they will turn your sons away from following me. Notice what? To serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. So there's a reason that God wanted them to be destroyed because he gave them time to repent and they would not and therefore they were ripe for judgment. And God didn't want his people to be destroyed because if they fell into idolatry, which they did, history bears out that, right? That's the reason they went into the Assyrian captivity, the northern ten tribes in 722 B.C. That's why the, northern, or the southern two tribes went into captivity to Babylon in 586. That's why it happened, because they didn't root it out. Even after David, we're going to find that sin slowly crept in. I think the time of David and Solomon were the, the, the golden days of the Davidic dynasty. Solomon's kingdom, I mean, Solomon at his apex was incredible. People from all over the world were coming to hear him. The Queen of Sheba and others, you know, they're just like hearing this man's wisdom and, and the things that he's learned, and God is just blessing this guy, not only with wisdom, but monetarily. He was blessing. He had the best of both worlds. He didn't ask for the money, but the money came because he wanted what was most important. And that was the wisdom to govern God's people. And God says, because you didn't ask for that, I'm going to give it all to you, David, or Solomon. But Solomon's wives came from other, these other areas, these other nations. They came from those nations, and what did they do? They began to serve their false gods. And Solomon began to get smitten by these gods and he began to worship them himself. And then toward the latter part of his life, he realized what a mess he had made. And he repented. But it was a devastating thing for him and for the nation. So back in our text too, so that's who the Philistines were. David was proactive going after them. And then notice what happened. And he defeated Moab. Moab. He defeated Moab. Moab was another. Remember, um, Moab and the, the children of Ammon were the descendants of Lot. Remember Lot's incestuous relationship that he had with his two daughters after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. His daughters got him drunk, and they each had a child by their father. One was named Ben-Ami, or the children of Ammon, or Ammon, and the other one was Moab. 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 So he defeated Moab, notice, forcing them to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines he measured off those who were to be put to death and with one full line to keep those alive. And so the Moabites became David's servants and they brought tribute to him. In other words, they paid taxes to him. So two-thirds of the, the Moabite population of men were killed. Why? This is a way for David to assure that that generation is not going to come after him. It, it really it really, puts a, um, it really slows down the possibility of them rising up with many men to come after David. And David, remember, heard from the Lord, I'm going to establish you, and I'm going to give you all this land. And, and even in Solomon's reign, uh, Israel never obtained all the land that God had given to them. Never obtained all of it. They got close, but they never obtained it. And it's interesting that he would go against the Moabites because, do you remember who was the famous Moabite in David's lineage? Ruth. Remember Ruth, the Moabitess, Naomi's daughter-in-law. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was in the direct line and the direct descent of Jesus. Yes a Gentile woman, Ruth. So Ruth was David's great-grandmother. Can you imagine? My great-grandmother came from Moab. Now, for some reason, he goes against the Moabites. We don't know of all the skirmish and, and, and the reason for it. And remember, it was Moab that David, remember when he was on the run from Saul. Where did he take his mom and dad? He took them to the king of Moab, because that's where his great-grandmother came from. And they were safe there. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And then not too long after he becomes king, there's a point where a line is drawn in the sand. We don't know exactly what it was, but it doesn't really matter. But David is expanding his kingdom, obeying what God had told him to do. I love that. You know, being obedient to God, even when it doesn't seem right. I mean, think about how you would feel if you had to go, if you were going and, and, and going to war and, and against these people groups that God had planned for destruction. Think of how hard that would be. I find that would probably be pretty hard. It's different if, one, if they steal from you or if they murder somebody in your family. It, the, the, the passion and the anger is already there, right? But for, for God to just say, these people... I have doomed to destruction because of their sin. Because of their sin. So notice verse 3. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. And he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. Hadadezer, Hadad uh, is my helper, is his name. And Hadad was the name of a Syrian god. And so even in their names... They reverenced their their false gods. But Zobah was this area north of Damascus, about 100 miles. And it was in this area that David went and defeated Hadadezer. And it says, David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and also David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. He hamstrung the horses. That way they couldn't be used in battle against them. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. And then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants, and they brought tribute or brought taxes. And so the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And isn't it obvious, as you see, David, just that there's no defeats here. It's always, he, he's on the front, and he's always successful now, and winning these battles and it's obvious that the Lord was with him. And I think his enemies shook and they shuddered because of that. When God is on a man's side, there's nothing that's going to stop him. When God is for someone, who can be against him? Isn't that what the scripture says to us? If God be for us, who can be against us? It's the truth. It's the truth. Do you believe it? When you're suffering difficulties, He's with you and He's for you and He is victorious, He's already won the battle. Do we know it? Do we believe it? Do we live like he's won the battle? Or do we we live like defeated Christians? It's a good question. But remember, Saul, because of his weak character and his moral underpinnings, he was nowhere near as successful in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says that David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And we're seeing that being played out right now. Saul is, and his family are just kind of dissolved and, and going by the way. And David, he is rising to affluence and rising. And why is he rising? Because he's a great CEO, because he's got a lot of money, because he has people in high places. Actually, he does. He has people, he has a person in high places. It's Jesus. See, it is who you know. <laughs> it's who you know, right? And so David took the shields of gold that he had, that had belonged to the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And also from Betha and from Baratheai, cities of Hadadezer, king, king David took a large amount of bronze. And when Toai, king of Hamath, which is an area even further north of Zobah, When he heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, then Toi sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toi. So now David's got a faithful ally now because Toi was sick and tired of, of, of Hadadezer and he was glad that somebody finally stood up and pounded him. (laughs) <laughs> That's really the bottom line here. But notice that Joram, because of his excitement and wanting to please David, he brought with him articles of silver and articles of gold and articles of bronze. And notice verse 11, King David also dedicated these to the Lord. He didn't take all the gold, the silver, and the bronze for himself. Any one of us, if we had that kind of booty, if you know, we would take it for ourselves and, and spend it on ourselves, Perhaps. But David instinctively knew this was for the Lord, because that, those shields, all that material could be melted down, it could be smelted and used for other things for God's house. I think in deep in David's heart, there was already the plan, there was already the, the thought, you know, I, I want to I do this. And certainly it was. But he knew he couldn't do it. He knew that his son would do it. And if I can't do it, David says, then I'm going to amass all the gold, the silver, the bronze, everything he needs. So when he's old enough, I'm going to basically hand him everything he needs. And that's exactly what David did. What a great provider. What a great provider. Love that. But he would he would no doubt use these resources for the temple. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 51, this is what it says. So all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings. He put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Very unselfish man. What a great leader David was. I mean, he really was. He was a great warrior, but he wasn't just a bloodthirsty man who just wanted to kill people. No, he killed for the right reasons. He went to battle for the right reasons, but he was a compassionate man. He was a gracious man. We see that throughout his, his tenure of, in his office. A very kind and compassionate man, not bloodthirsty like his nephew Joab. No, David was made of different stuff. He was a kind man gracious, and not only that, very gifted musician, which I think is always pretty unusual. He was an artist. You know, most artists, you know, have never swung a hammer. (laughs) Most artists have never been into battle, but David was both of these things. Quite an interesting fellow he was. I can't wait to meet him. So from Syria and from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, And from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, David obtained all the spoil. Verse 13, And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. And he also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Wherever he went. And remember that Edom was where the descendants of Esau lived. Remember Jacob and Esau? Well, Esau is Edom. And they dwelt in that land south of the Moabites, further south, and, and, and on the east side of the Dead Sea, further south below the uh, Moabites. And so, verse 15, it says, David reigned over all Israel. And David administered judgment and justice to all his people. And what a delightful people this group of people were, no doubt, to have such a gracious king. Remember when he brought in the Ark of the Covenant? He gave everyone a cluster of raisins and and some food and and gave them a a thing of wine. And it was a, a very joyous occasion. He didn't have to do that, but he was generous. That was his heart. David was generous. He was compassionate. He was a good man, an honest man. We'll find out next week that he had some issues, and don't we all have issues? There's not a man here or a woman that's perfect. There's only one man that I know of that's perfect, and that was Jesus himself. But the rest of us, not so much. David reigned over all Israel. David administered judgment and justice to all his people, and Joab, his nephew, the son of Zeruiah, I remember Zeruiah was David's sister, so Joab was his nephew. He was over the whole army. And now Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahitub, Ahilud, was recorder. And I find it interesting that after Joab's shenanigans with killing Abner, who was King Saul's commander of his army. Remember, he killed him in cold blood in a city of refuge where he should have been safe. Joab kills this man in cold blood. Even though Abner had killed his brother, Asahel, remember? He did, he did that. But here, Joab, unprovoked, some time afterwards, sneaks up on him, kills him. And yet David was so distraught, distraught by the whole thing, and he says, Joab, you and your family, your blood's going to be upon you. But he didn't put him to death. In fact, we don't know of any consequence of Joab's sin that he had done. But Joab, the son of Zerani- Zeruiah, is now over the whole army. And Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. And Sarahiah was the scribe. We're going to see Zadok more in the future in Solomon's kingdom. Remember that Zadok was the rightful um, heir to the, the, the priestly line. Um, Ahimelech was the son of Abiathar. But God had chosen the sons of Zadok to be his priests. And that gets straightened out in Solomon's kingdom, which we'll find out in, in due time. But notice in verse 18, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the, both the Cherithites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. Kind of interesting group of people, Cherethites and Perethites. These really were David's bodyguards. These were men whose sole um, job really was to protect the king and also to execute judgment. They were executioners, and they were foreign mercenaries, really. We believe the Cherethites were actually from the island of Crete or had a Crete um, background, and the Pelethites, many believe, Their name literally means couriers, a courier, but many believe that they had some kind of uh, Philistine background. Which David, remember, he had an affinity with the Philistines before in his deranged syndrome that he went through before he um, before his uh, before he came to uh, before Saul had passed away. He made uh, friends with many Philistines in a not so good time in his life. But these men, believe we believe, are from the Philistines. And so now we get into chapter 9. And it says that, now David said, Is there anyone still who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Are you kidding me, David? After all that Saul had done to you, how he hunted you down like a gazelle in the, in the, in the, in the forest, and how he, you know, for years, this went on for some seven, at least seven years, David was on the run And now you want to show his family some kind of kindness? Yes, because David's heart was thus, right? That's the way his heart was. And I love this. David never had a grudge against Saul. Even though Saul hated David, he would do anything to exterminate David. But David didn't have any problem with Saul. He didn't have any problem with the tribe of Benjamin. They were his brothers. The Judah and Benjamin, they were brothers, He didn't have any problem with him, but Saul and his family had a problem with David. But now David becomes king. He didn't have to do this, but just out of the kindness, again, of his heart. And doesn't that sound like the heart of Christ? You know, after all that we have done to him, after all mankind has done to him, I'm convinced that if Christ were to come back today, he would still be crucified, probably quicker. And yet, Jesus loves. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of love is that? That's the kind of love that changes lives. When a love like that gets a hold of your life, it changes you forever, and you are no longer the same person ever again. That kind of love captured, raptured my heart, and yours, hopefully as well. But that was David's true heart. And there was a servant, now notice, of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. That's a really good way to respond to the king. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still the son of Jonathan, who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. And then King David sent, and he brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, Amiel, from Lo-Debar. And now when Mephibosheth, that was his name, that was Jonathan's son's name. Saul's grandson is named Mephibosheth, and also David's best friend in the whole world. His one confidant that he had, Jonathan, his son, Mephibosheth, is still alive. And he's lame in his feet. In fact, in Second Samuel chapter 4, we, we were reminded what caused him to be lame on his feet. Because right before, right when the news of Saul and his other, his sons, his other sons, when they had died on the battlefield against the Philistines, in verse 4 of Second Samuel 4, it says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So somehow when she held him and she was running, she tripped or he fell and he broke his leg. He did something where it had permanent damage where he couldn't walk again. And that was out of grief. The poor woman had just heard about that her son's you know, father and grandfather were just killed in battle. What horrible news could that be? How much more horrible could it be? But notice what happened. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the, all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Are you kidding me? That's like going to being in the White House and being fed, you know, sitting at the president's table.
0: I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday at area code 585